0: The following is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, proclaiming biblical doctrine to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Log on AllianceNet.org and listen for more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation.
1: You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined as always by Carl Truman, who is professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. Well, Carl, it's good to see you. We're uh, about a week before Christmas, and here I am ensconced in uh, in my study at home, hot cup of coffee. Um, Carl, a long a hot way cup away. I coffee
2: too, but instant coffee. <laughs> Need see. from Re- from real, genuine granules.
1: Yeah, see, that's terrible. Um, here here you have a man from England who we all know how snobby they are about tea. But when it comes to coffee, you're utterly, utterly a, a Philistine. And so I regret that. I regret that. Well, Carl, um, uh, big news uh, this week. So let's see today. It's, it's Thursday morning, and this would have been, um, I think, Tuesday when President Biden uh, signed the def- the um the, the the Respect for Marriage Act, um, which is uh, I mean we knew it was coming. He had promised to sign it, uh, but uh, you know once the thing becomes official, it adds a whole new level of sobriety to it. Um, of course, the, the 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 Respect for Marriage uh, Act has been called by its critics the the disrespect for marriage Act um, because it, um, uh, it it basically uh, does away with the defense of marriage act, which was signed, interestingly enough, by a, a democratic president, Bill Clinton, um, uh, which, which does not require one state to honor, uh, a, a homosexual marriage from another state. Um, and, and in that way, uh, protects kind of the freedom of, of states to, uh, to decide how, you know, what boundaries they want to place on marriage. It also had some good, um, very good, uh, religious liberty protections in it, et cetera. Um, the uh, the Respect for Marriage Act now undoes all of that. Um, its defenders say that it protects religious liberty. Um, those like David French have promised, "Hey, nothing to see here. Everything's fine." Um, it it uh, it defends religious liberty because they promise they'll protect religious liberty, and I trust them. I guess is what what Mr. French's attitude is. Um, and, uh, heck, even the Mormons were on board. Oh, and, and, and lest we, we, um, we forget about the evangelicals, um, the National Association of Evangelicals, headed by, uh, Walter Kim, who is a former pastor that used to be, uh, in the presbytery, the PCA presbytery that I serve in, in the state of Virginia, but is no longer. Um, he actually lobbied, uh, members of Republican members of Congress to vote for, uh, the respect for marriage act. So it's a very interesting, very curious time. And, and in just a moment, I want to run a few quotes by you from, from our president, um, to, to sort of, um, answer the question, how much confidence we have that religious liberty, freedom of conscience, et cetera, will actually be protected. Um, but, uh, uh, Carl, what are your initial thoughts? I I know that you um, recently had a a conversation with Andrew Sullivan. If, if folks don't know who Andrew Sullivan is, he's a fascinating guy, a journalist commentator uh, for years who himself is a homosexual, but in the past um, uh, he, he'd been curious because he had, he staked out in terms of certain public policies, particularly uh, uh, finance, taxation, that sort of thing, some rather conservative positions in the past, um, uh, uh, you'll find critics of him on both the left and the right, but he has been a champion of homosexual marriage, um, gay marriage, et cetera. I know. So I know that you've been talking about this just recently with someone as as well known on the subject as Andrew Sullivan. But but what are your initial thoughts about um, uh, 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 about this uh, Respect for Marriage Act now becoming law uh,
2: in the United States? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. on in one level, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Practically speaking, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, I think, a preemptive act, if you right. like, really designed to, to head off further action overturning of precedence by the Supreme Court. So, right. in terms of what immediately happens, not much right. changes at this point. Right, right. No, and, nobody's
1: you know, going to wake up this morning and uh, and notice any kind of a noticeable change across the no, cultural no. landscape. Yeah.
2: No, and in my discussion with Andrew Sullivan. His take seemed to me, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting him, seemed to be: look, it's it's just firming up what we have already. The Defense of Marriage Act, of course, uh, in the Supreme Court case uh, uh, United States v. Windsor, 2013, that was the moment when the Obama administration decided not to defend right. the Defense of Marriage Act. So the Defense of Marriage Act effectively was dead in the water practically at that yeah. point. But it yeah. remains on the books, so it's essentially a uh, uh, an attempt to to bolster the the status quo, I think there are a couple of ways one could think about it from a, a, a Christian perspective one i i don't agree, but I find it to be a reasonable argument that we've lost on this one. Mm. we need to try to get the best we can. this law includes certain religious liberty protections, and if this is the best we're going to get, then then let's back it I, I don't agree with that but I think that's a not unreasonable and not right. unfaithful position for a Christian to hold because I think that we do that all the time in politics True. it's always Trev, what's worried me is that those who uh, Christian leaders not least of course uh, David French who've who've used language of justice etc about yeah. this law and I think at that point you're moving out of the realm of uh, realistic pragmatism into a, a sort of aspirational So I think that's a problem. Secondly, uh, I think that the religious liberties protections in the Act are not strong. If you read them, uh, they they're really all to do with religious institutions. Right. The the protection of individuals is not strong. It's not going to help. Right. The individual uh, secular uh, Christian businessman going about his business. There doesn't right. seem to be anything there for him, uh, nor for the individual Christian who wants to allow their faith to to shape how they operate in the secular the, the public square. Yeah. Um, thirdly, well, uh, I think you yeah. also see just one last thing, yeah, yeah. a certain incoherence as well. And there's, there's this this beautifully nonsensical statement about how nothing in this bill should be seen to sort of legitimate polygamy, etc, etc. Well for me, the, the question is, why not? Right. Uh, well, what makes the number two sacrosanct when the distinction between biological male and female is no longer sacrosanct? Right. Why can't you have three guys and four girls, mm-hmm. seven women and, and six men right. becoming a single marriage and raising children? Now, I, I don't think that's where we're going to go in the next month or two. But really, the, I think that that's the poker tell that tells me. This is all about, you know, marriage has become a function of what public taste will tolerate or promote. Mm-hmm. It's no longer at the political level, a principal issue of right. any kind.
1: Yeah. And uh, of course, you and I both know, without naming any names, but you and I both know people who's, we know people who have experienced pressure put upon them professionally because of, their individually held beliefs on the issues of marriage and homosexuality. You know, this is affecting Christian individuals, people in my church. Um, I, I have members of my church that are being represented represented right now by the Alliance Defending Freedom in a lawsuit that has gained national attention right here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. On um, public school policies um, that that put christian teachers and parents both in very very difficult positions um, in terms of having to compromise their conscience their freedom of speech and their liberty to hold to what christians have always held to Um, this is what's going on and 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 you know, my job's not going to be threatened. I'm a pastor of a pCA church. My job's not going to be threatened for this, but I have people that I serve in my church who currently see writing on the wall on this issue and so sort of the the kind of dismissive attitude of the david french and and others um I, I you know it makes me wonder, do you know any Christians out there that are that just have you know that have jobs in out there in the world and aren't well-paid columnists? I mean, do you know anybody like this?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, the, the, on the ground, this stuff is, is beginning to have real impact. And I was, you know, it's, it's five years since I was a pastor.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
2: I was seeing it five years ago in right. my congregation, and I've certainly noticed it uh, in, as you mentioned, people are pretty close to me have come under a significant right. pressure on this. I think what we're seeing is that the, the conditions for being a functioning member of society, yes increasingly coming to include affirmation of moral positions that that Christians simply can't go along with and remain faithful Christians right uh, that's why i think for some you see you know, whenever what 5 years ago would have been a no-brainer moral issue comes up right it's fascinating to me that those whose position depends on this no-brainer issue actually being a brainer Involving all kinds of complexities, so we we can't actually make a clear moral statement on it in any way. We're all sinners. Those kind of arguments seem Mm -hmm. to be particularly prevalent among those who kind of like the status they have, right? Whether whether it's the sort of you know the cool Christian kid. Right. Uh, out in the blogosphere or whether it's the you know the opinion columnist at x magazine or mm. x newspaper it's interesting to me that there's a class issue here that it's a certain yes. class of person that always finds these issues to be complicated right. necessary of nuance and anybody who disagrees them with them to be either an idiot or evil or an evil idiot yeah you know, right. it's, it's it's that's the kind of approach right and i think that's that's emerging as more and more of a pattern. And that is not coincidental. That is not right. coincidental. Meanwhile, the ordinary salesman, uh, the ordinary shop worker, uh, the ordinary human resource manager, school teacher, there, et cetera, et cetera, yep. finds that, well, you know, there's not a lot of room for nuance right, in, in, in the real world in which they live, right. dealing with real people. And that's where all of the, uh, the I, I think, the, the, I would say the faffing around Mm-hmm. By so many of the Christian intellectual class, and okay, I'm I'm a member of the Christian intellectual class. I'm I, I'm not standing apart from this. Yeah. I, I am an elite myself. Right. I just hope that ultimately my elite status means less to me than my Christian fidelity.
1: Right. Right. Well, it's interesting as we think about the implications of the Respect for Marriage Act in terms of um uh, its uh, uh its ability to protect. Uh, freedom of conscience and religious liberty. Uh, Listen to this. This is one of the statements that, that the president made on Tuesday at the signing ceremony and, and, and listen, you know, I I would have our hearers really listen to what impact they, they believe this has on the public consciousness of those who believe what Christians have always believed. But Biden said this quote, this law and the love it defends. First of all, I mean, can I just say, I mean, that, that that's such sentimental. Uh,
2: Ch- uh, channeling, his, channeling his inner Bono. Maybe the, Bono the, <laughs> the love it defends. I don't it has want a, a Bono a, level of rigor to it. I, would I don't, say
1: want, I don't <laughs> want the president of the United States to, to even have that statement in his lexicon about anything. Anyway, this law and the love it defends strikes a blow against hate in all its forms. And that's why this law matters to every single American, no matter who you are or who you love. He goes
2: yeah. on. Well, let me just comment on that, Todd. I think yeah. that's, that tracks exactly with the Supreme Court judgment in yeah. United States v. Windsor, mm-hmm. 2013, which which essentially said the only reason for objecting to same-sex uh, right. marriage unions is, is bigotry. Bigotry, yeah. hate, now, yeah. It, it's one thing to say somebody's wrong, it's another thing to say they're bigoted. You know, yep. I might say, you know, so-and-so's wrong about marriage. Mm-hmm. But to, to imply that they're wrong about marriage because they're bigoted and hateful, right. it's right. a very different thing. Yeah, and I it, would say hundreds of years of religious thinking on this issue are pointed in one direction. It's not irrational to hold on to that for yes. reasons other than hate.
1: Yes. The, w- when, when the leader of the free world, the president, the head of the executive branch of the government, which is in charge of enforcing laws, putting, you know, over the justice department, etc., says that if you believe what Christians have always believed, then you are a hater and a bigot. That's a little frightening. He goes on. He says, this shouldn't be about conservative or liberal red or blue. Well, right. Yeah, no, This is about realizing, now this is interesting, he says, this is about realizing the promise of the Declaration of Independence, a promise rooted in, now are you ready for this? He says, a promise rooted in sacred and secular beliefs a promise that we're all created equal. That's, so, why you,
2: that's why you guys should have stayed with the UK. You know, it's, you know when, when you engage in a rebellion in clear contradiction of Romans 13, this is where it gets you, man. This is where it gets I you. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> a nation born in rebellion can bring forth mm-hmm, no good. Mm-hmm.
1: But but there you go. I mean, the president of the United States just said, listen, um, yeah. what if, if you're a Christian who believes what Christians have always believed, this this act is a blow against your hatred and and what is more you know he goes on to say hey listen um uh, homosexual marriage you know this is about our quote sacred beliefs you know um so so he'll employ uh, the language of holiness um to yeah. uh, to defend this it is it is very interesting because if, if, if I say, hey, listen, Christians, this has you know, no impact on your freedom of conscience or religious liberty whatsoever, and then proceed to say that um, only bigots and, and haters um, and non-sacred people
2: would and I, and think what you think. Hmm. I mean, I was, I was being interviewed by Andrew Sullivan at the very moment this act was being signed. And yeah. one of the things I appreciated, actually, about my engagement with Andrew Sullivan was he clearly disagreed with me. Right. But he, he treated me as somebody, I thought, of good faith. Right. You know, I, I think he, he saw me as seriously misguided, <laughs> but not driven by hatred. And yeah. that actually shapes his understanding of this bill. His understanding yeah. of this bill is it's, it's just giving us protections. Right. It's, it's, it's not about taking anybody down. I don't want to take anybody down. And, and Andrew's been on, on record as saying that. You know, we, yeah. we got gay marriage not to put cake bakers out of business. That, right. that wasn't the game. And, and I believe, and I believe that he means that. Yeah. But he's not representative, I think. Exactly. Of what's going on. He's a kind of, you know, you read, you read his stuff on gay marriage and it's gay people want to be part of this conservative institution in order to, to give us stability. Mm -hmm. That's not what's going on here. No. This is about negation.
1: Exactly. Andrew Sullivan is not the attorney general of the state of Colorado, for instance. No. Um, and and this has clear, as we've already seen, you know, states have used uh, their position to actually bankrupt uh, small business owners um, over this issue. Now, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the nature of marriage itself, because something else that the president said um, uh, uh, kind of begs for us to ask a few questions about what marriage actually is, because you do have to get around to this point is that Christians actually have an opinion based upon God's word about what marriage is, just as those who deny what the scriptures say, have an opinion what marriage is. Now, Biden said this, he said, quote, the good news is that as more and more Americans come to understand what this is all about is a simple proposition. Who do you love? He goes on, and will you be loyal to the person you love? And that's what people are finding out. It's what all marriages at their root are about. Whether they're marriages of lesbians or gay men or heterosexuals,
2: what, what, what happens if quote. I love? What happens if I love three persons? Exactly, th- this act actually stops me from being married to three persons. Yes, yeah, yeah. and so I actually think this act is enforcing hate.
1: Yeah, uh, well, you know, and, and we know that that's going to be the
2: yeah.
1: argument that that, that comes. If,
2: and, if I was if I was a lawyer, as soon as this sure. act was signed, I'd have called, found somebody in the Restorationist Latter Day Saints. Yep. Uh, and say okay i think we have got a lawsuit here absolutely let's, let's let's go for this and let's see where we can get yep. on this one because frankly why why pick on uh, polygamists exactly
1: well and and again where and it's not just president biden but it's it's other political leaders who have supported this you know to 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 say that that all this comes down to quote this quote simple proposition who do you love yeah again well, what if I love three people or what if I'm an adult man and I love a 14 year old?
2: Well, this I mean, is what,
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, he offers no qualifications for this whatsoever. And, and, and nor do any of the of, of the advocates I've heard, although they keep saying the same thing. This is about who you love. This is about who you love. And I want to say, hold it. You either believe that or you don't believe that if you really believed that. You would be going after age of consent laws. You would be going after laws against polygamy. If you really believe that this is only about who do you love, you would remove all of those other barriers.
2: Yeah. Well, I think this goes to, you know, ironically, Sigmund Freud is helpful here. You know, Freud at, at one point makes this uh, argument about, you know, uh, a man who kisses a pretty girl's lips uh, feels no disgust. Uh, hmm. But if he found out he'd used her toothbrush, he'd be kind of revolted. <laughs> and he's, Freud's making the point there, I suppose, that, that social moral codes are kind of arbitrary. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, is, is where we are. Uh, without any objective grounding, really, your, your society's moral codes become that which social taste will tolerate at any given point right. in time. And, and that, I think, is the difficulty. And, you know, I guess... It's that's why we don't want Bono uh, writing legislation. <laughs> Who state. do you love?: You know yeah. we, we, need, we need deeper thinkers than Bono and the current president to, right. to guide us in point. But we're not going to get them, I don't think.
1: No. Right. And part of the challenge I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier, um, at this point, I see less and less that the goal here is for us to convince the unbeliever, but to actually continue to try to convince Christians. Yeah. Yeah, you know this this issue and surrounding issues, uh, gender sexuality are are that complex of issues are the are the number one um, departing point for people who are deconstructing and abandoning the Christian faith. Are these issues and uh, and so our our I think our first task in regard to this is to keep Christians convinced.
2: I absolutely couldn't agree more. Again, when Andrew Sullivan at the end said to me, and you know, what's the way forward? I actually said to him, look, I, I think my side lost on mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we, you know, I actually we lost 50
1: or 60 years ago. Yeah,
2: I don't think the, the Respect for Marriage Act was actually necessary because I don't think we're going to see any major reversal. I think we've lost right. that battle. Yep. I, I think what we need to do is, one, in the public square, refocus ourselves on issues where we can stand shoulder to shoulder with good people who may disagree with us on some of these things. But, you know, we can all agree that we want the streets to be safe for men, women, and children to walk down, those kind of things. But I think internally, we need to work hard. Uh, I think what's happened, I think Catholicism has got an edge on us at this point, because they've got a strong Mm -hmm. tradition of social teaching. I think what's happened really with Protestantism in the West is, Certainly, in, in in the United States, where the culture was ethically and morally default Protestant, right? Protestants didn't really have to think about ethics and morality exactly any uh, depth for many generations, and so we don't have a tradition uh, to draw on right. uh, that. And I think what Protestants need to do now is, yeah, you know, we need to make sure that in our pastoral training, pastors are being taught how to think ethically and morally right. basic principles. Yep. We need to be encouraging uh, bright young people, not necessarily to go off and do a church history PhD, but to think about doing a PhD in ethics. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, We need, I think, to really realize we are way behind on these issues, and we need teachers within the church who are competent to help a rising generation think through these issues carefully. On one level, telling people the Bible says this is sort of enough. But we all know that uh, young people don't just read the Bible. They right. hang out with their friends. They want to know why the Bible, does it make mm-hmm. sense that the Bible says that? Does the Bible say this just because God is some giant blue meanie, yellow submarine reference there, blue yeah. meanie in the mm-hmm. sky, who wants us all to be miserable? Or is there some kind of rationale? Yeah. Is there some correlation between the way the world is and the way the Bible says the world is?
1: Yeah, exactly. And 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 I've I've seen it. Unfold um, where, you know, again, the world has a narrative, the world tells a story. It's very simple. It's immediately appealing. Yeah. And it, and it's what we it's in the words that we heard from the president on Tuesday. Who do you love? Yeah. Um, well, that that's that's a story. And yeah. and it's immediately appealing. It's very sentimental. It, it has emotional power. Uh, well, the church has a much, much better narrative. The church has a much, yeah. much better story. We have revelation, and it happens also. This revelation from God in the scripture happens also, oddly enough, to cohere perfectly with nature. Yeah. Um, but but it's just that our story is has complexities. You have to yeah. think about it. It's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it harder. Now it's infinitely better, but it's harder. And so we um, need people trained. When you and I were kids, um, we And particularly me, I mean, I was raised in conservative Houston, Texas in the 70s and 80s. We just knew, you know, so to speak, that homosexuality was wrong. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to have the doctrine of creation explained to me to understand that it's wrong, maybe because, you know, yuck factor and all those kinds of things. Now, and, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think this has been good for the church. And I think Protestants are doing catch up because not only it's necessary, but it's a good exercise. We're actually having to really go back to the first few chapters of Genesis, for instance. To help people understand why there is such a good yeah. yes behind God's nose yeah. on some of these I, issues.
2: I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, similar up by you know, all boys grammar school in the UK, you know, yeah. homosexuality is obviously wrong. And, and sad to say that it was because the culture was homophobic in a sure. real sense.
1: I didn't have a single lost friend that, that said that homosexuality was good.
2: Yeah, we, we sort of <laughs> came to the right conclusion, but right. for all of the wrong and reprehensible yeah. reasons. Yeah. But that doesn't make the conclusion wrong. Right. I think the conclusion can have some uh, coherence when it's grounded properly in, in the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And of course, that also allows us to address uh, President Biden's concern that you know we, we don't want to hold our position because we hate. And I think there are people who do that, and we don't want to be one of them. How do we avoid that? Well, we avoid that by having a a principal commitment to biblical teaching. Andrew Sullivan, one of the things I said to him was, you know, in Andrew, I just, I just think of you as a, as a human being, as a person yeah. of dignity. I don't think of you in terms of identity categories. Right. You're a person right. of dignity. We disagree on some things, but that's how we need to think. And you get that from the biblical narrative. You don't get it from the kind of identity politics that our president and people on the right, sure. you know, as we've seen in, in recent events on the right, Identity politics mm-hmm. dehumanizes people. Right. We need to recapture that yeah. biblical narrative.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and as you said, the biblical narrative grants to human beings such tremendous dignity. You know, yeah. as our friend said, Rosaria Butterfield, you know, she used some technical medical language that is hard to hear, just as an example of who is it that loves their neighbor?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, the, 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 the person that wants, that, that's okay with seeing their bodies destroyed. Yeah, or the one that appeals to them and says, no, you have more dignity than that.
2: Yeah. And on that note, I think it's uh, it's time to wrap, but uh, we want to thank you all uh, for listening. Please visit our website, mortificationspin.org. And this week, we have a giveaway that will hopefully help you as a Christian think through the issue of marriage in ways that I would say, go beyond the Bible in some ways. It's uh, a wonderful book. Uh, Uh, written by uh, Ryan Anderson, Sheriff Gerges, and Robert George, What is Marriage? Uh, What that book will do is give you supplementary arguments about marriage that help you to understand and to explain to others why what the Bible says about marriage actually makes sense and tracks with reality. So please go to the website. uh, If you feel all there, make a donation, enter for a chance to win that book. If you're not, fortunate enough to win the book, please get hold of a copy. It's an extremely important and relatively short book, just over 100 pages, uh, and I think you will find it immensely helpful uh, given the debates that continue to arroil uh, not just wider society, but even the church herself at this point. Otherwise, all that remains for me to say is to thank you for joining us uh, today, and we look forward to being with you again in two weeks' time. Who do you love?
0: anything wrong with that. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is thankful for your support. The Alliance is a coalition of Christians with a passion for the truth of God's Word, upholding biblical doctrine, sharing the gospel, and equipping Christians with trustworthy teaching through broadcasts, publishing, and events. Your generous gifts enable the Alliance to share the message of ultimate hope, which originates not in man, but in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. As we approach year-end, we need your assistance to raise the funding necessary to finish the year strong and reach even more people in the year ahead. Please join us and help underwrite this teaching and encouraging ministry. Visit Alliancenet.org donate to make a gift online. That's Alliancenet.org donate or call 1-800-488-1888. Please consider sending a gift now when the need is so great. Thank you.